Welcome to the Food, Family and Friends podcast, proudly presented by worldpodcasts.com. Now it's time to join your host, Vanessa Baxter. Today I'm heading over the bridge to the North Shore of Auckland and there I'm going to be joining Dr Grant Schofield and also Karen and they are the founders of What the Fat and they have written a couple of books, What the Fat book and there's also a What the Fat sports performance. Now this guy, he is a pretty awesome dude, Uh, he is definitely got some opinions that he is quite strong on and uh, this interview is definitely all about his style, his decisions as a parent, his um, view of teenagers and of food and Karen is the nutritionist and she's awesome and I think you'll really, really love this episode with them. It's all about low-carb, healthy fat. You know, get rid of the sugars, but don't think of it as a diet. Think of this as a way of life. You know, time to change your game, trying to just live in a really healthy, balanced way, embracing whole foods, embracing foods that are minimally processed, definitely embracing eggs. And I think if you have a listen to this, you'll really revisit some of those misconceptions around food and dieting and uh, the way we live our lives. So I think for parents, for kids, for teenagers themselves and for anyone who's interested in food and family, this is an episode you sure don't want to miss. So thank you so much for your time. I know you're both such busy people. We're here with Dr. Grant Schofield and Dr. Karen Zinn, and we've just been chatting about her unusual surname, but (laughs) that's for another podcast, maybe. (laughs) Thank you so much for your time. I know you're so crazy busy, both of you, and um, traveling as well as just being busy on campus, but it's fantastic to have a quick chance to have a chat with you. And, you know, as you know, I've just explained, my life is all about food and family and friends and, and the passion of bringing people together around the table, whether it's cooking or eating together. Um, And I'm just going to let you introduce yourselves and tell us why you're both here in this room together, because you're obviously working together. And maybe tell us a little bit about the project uh, ongoing for many years, project that you're working on at the moment with regards to food. I'm Grant Schofield. I'm Professor of Public Health at AUT University, and I've been working here for... I don't know, the best part of 14 years now. Mm. Um, and the decade before that, I spent in uh, Queensland. Oh, okay. Uh, in Australia, where my first son was born. So he's a little Aussie. Okay. I've got two other boys who are Kiwis. Actually, they're all Kiwis now. Are they happily all Kiwis yeah, now? Yeah, yeah. They, yeah, they, they don't yeah. fight over their nationality? No, 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 no. no. Are they all All Blacks followers? Yeah, uh, yeah, of course. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> Good to hear. Right, we've got that one covered then. <laughs> uh, and... and like I, I'm sort of ashamed to say I've been studying diabetes, obesity, that sort of thing for um, my whole career. Mm. Um, but I, it was only the last um, probably five years that we started to question what we were telling them more closely, which is actually not very good work for an academic, is it? Um, and I, you know, I think we got it wrong. I used to think exercise was really the most important thing for everything. Oh, it's still crucial and it's good for health, but not mm. so much for staying in shape. And the importance of food and how wrong we got. Um, the guidelines in public health and you know challenging that and saying that you know actually it's going to be okay to eat more fat 
um, and and this sort of rise and rise and rise of sugary carbohydrates, um, especially in our young people's lives. How do you sort of deal with that? Uh, and there is a reality check as well. I think um, I, I don't know. You know, we like I know this stuff. Um, I live and breathe this stuff, and this is still a daily struggle. To first of all get the boys off iPads and devices, mm-hmm. um, kick their asses outside, um, and then get them eating real food the whole time. You know, it, it's anyone who says that's easy, um, it's not easy, but um, it's, not. It's, it's worthwhile. Yeah, I totally agree, Karen. Hi, Vanessa. So I've been at AUT for around 16 years and I've, I originated from South Africa, moved to New Zealand end of 95 and worked as a public health dietitian in Wangarei. And I have been, I guess you could call it a mainstream dietitian for around 17 years. And, and it's only been the last sort of four-ish that I've, I've changed my mind. So, you know, when I look back to my practice, um, telling people to have tins of creamed rice and tins of spaghetti and things like that. It's, it's rather embarrassing. Um, and what I'm doing now is, 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 is really real. It's all about real food. It's all mm. about whole food. And to be honest, I feel like my career has actually only started four years ago. I really feel like I'm making a difference, whereas before that, I just felt like I had a job. Did you feel like that before or is that on reflection? No, it's all on reflection. Yeah. Um, because the reality is, is that when I was doing what I was doing, I was getting results. Yeah. You know, people do lose weight, but they do it at the expense of being very hungry and having to exercise themselves half to death. But, you know, mm. you, you know, someone's losing weight, you go, yeah, I'm a successful dietitian. But it's only when you start doing things really well and you reflect, that's when the real learning comes. It's so interesting, isn't it? Because I lived in London for a while and I ended up working at Champneys Health Resort for a year. And this was back in the 80s, the late 80s. And gosh, you've just reminded me of that period and how those people were basically told to eat for their entire visit at Champneys. And it was based on the calories. And it was a 600 calorie per day diet if they really were there for weight loss and it was a thousand calories per day for maintenance Mm. and they exercised and they had all these other bizarre treatments as you do and I think the rest of the time they slept because they were exhausted because they weren't putting anything into their bodies (laughs) (laughs) and then the chefs that I was working with because I was quite young you know it was my sort of one of my first jobs I was quite young and then the chefs that I was working with you know in the kitchen who were coming up with these crazy healthy meals Meals, we'd all go out afterwards, of course, and they'd eat chip buddies and all those crazy, you know, British food at the pubs and drink and beer because they, they were starving mm. as well. We were all quite starving. Mm. And also, I think we were just all quite depressed about all these people who were so depressed at Champneys Health Resort. But anyway, I digress. Um, but it is interesting looking back at the way we were all informed about eating and trying to be healthy and totally. how different it is from today. Totally. Mm. Mm. Yeah. So, guys, have you got kids? I don't have kids. Um, I have lots of friends with kids and I have nieces and nephews and I have a furry four-legged kid and just really interesting how, you know, we, we're going through this food revolution. Mm. Um, it, it happens in the, the world of dogs and cats as well. It's unbelievable. It's the grain-based pellet food versus the raw food. It's the same arguments. It's really quite humorous. It, it is actually quite humorous because I've got friends who have said to me, oh, you don't feed your dog 
dog's raw food. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I've got enough going on in my life. No, they've got this lovely, sensitive, highly expensive dog yeah. food and they don't scratch or itch and that's what they get. Well, I have a raw food dog. Oh, no, well, that's you fine. Go. You don't have children. That's the difference. <laughs> It's true. That's a child. Yeah, totally. totally. I wish everyone who was listening to this podcast could see Grant's face. <laughs> well, no, the thing is, our dog was sort of on raw food, and then um, somehow, by we were never going for raffles, we win like a year's supply of dog food, the crappiest dog food ever, but we're too tight. We're like, oh. <laughs> it's a dog. Might as well use it up. <laughs> no, no, no. So he is mainly on raw food, but, you know, like when we haven't got anything to throw at him, it's just back to dog food. Too funny. Now, Grant, you've got three boys. You mentioned them at the beginning of the podcast. How old are they now? Uh, I've got Sam, who's 15, Jackson, who's 14, and we've got an accidental six-year-old called um, Danny. Bless. I hope he doesn't listen to the podcast. Is he aware of that? We we, we love him. It's just, that's the way, that's the reality of it. (laughs) That's the reality. And so your boys, do they love their food and are they interested in cooking? Uh, Yeah, yeah. So the, I mean, it's always a funny thing, isn't it? Because you you um, dads into all the stuff, and you know, teenage boys are going to do the opposite of their dad. Actually, no, they 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 um, are cooking up food the whole time. Um, I I ended up getting them to we started for our what the fat uh, book to start to put you know our chef Craig was putting some recipes up in there. So hey boys, we could um, get you doing it, get the kids doing it, and um, video. And they, we did one just before Easter, low carb hot cross buns, and it got you know one day it got like forty five thousand hits of them cooking. And I think that was probably the main attraction, frankly, yeah. um, was the boys getting stuck into it. So yeah, they've been pretty good. I mean, it's the thing is with these boys, it's you know it's not like they don't race off down to the shop with some money that they've scrounged from somewhere and buy God knows what. Mm. Um, and, and, you know, I don't think there's any real way to stop a 15-year-old boy doing that. But, you know, and I don't encourage – certainly don't encourage that, of course. But, you know, by and large, the food in our house is real food. Yep. Um, they are prepared to prepare it and do so. Um, and for us – I mean, I, I don't buy into this idea that breakfast is the most important meal of the day and you have to have it and da 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 But actually, the way it works out in our family, that does turn out to be quite a big meal – Right. Um, and one that everyone's involved in and, and we sort of set it up. Um, for example, this morning uh, we were racing around and um, we're actually living with my mother and father-in-law because our house um, got accidentally burnt down by the insurance company. The house got burnt down by the insurance company. Oh, yeah, so it got flooded and, and they came in to fix it and instead of fixing it they, they burnt it down and, you know, one things led to another and that's Goodness that. gracious. <laughs> <laughs> that's insane. Did you need another insurance company to cover the insurance oh, company? Yeah, oh, I yeah, can't yeah, even begin on. to no, imagine how that's going. Well, let's not but, but my mother-in-law was rushing in this morning and it's a Friday morning. She goes, oh my God, we've only got a dozen eggs left. I was like, oh, that's all right. She goes, oh, I've gone through 50 so far this week. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Are, are, are we proponents in this room of milk? Um, I, I, is milk good? or well, I mean, we have it in our family, and if you don't tolerate it, don't drink it. But um, but otherwise it's good, yeah? Yeah, I mean, we, so this morning we, there was eggs, um, there was some salmon because that was needed to be eaten, yeah. and, and we'd whipped up a smoothie, then had half a banana, a whole bunch mm. of berries, some 
high fat yogurt and a little bit of milk and you know I don't know how I, sometimes you know one boy's like oh this is so yum dear best thing that's ever been made the other boy's like oh this is revolting it's disgusting <laughs> and then you make exactly the same thing the next day and the roles reverse so I don't know oh look that's so funny Grant I've just been in uh, Vietnam for two weeks and Tim had sole charge of the kids which was awesome and um, I was sort of thinking I'm going to come back and it's just going to be bedlam actually they you know fell very quickly into a really cool routine but he did say my husband said to me honestly the lunch routine you know they come home and they moan and groan and dad your lunch isn't good enough and I don't want this and I do want that and everyone wants bagels and then you do bagels for two days and then it's like why are you giving us bagels we don't like bagels and we want pasta and then <laughs> and he said it's just insane so he apparently started just putting like little odd things in their lunchbox like just a little like spray of rosemary just chucked it in there and they come home there and he said instead of complaining about what was actually in the lunch they'd complain about the little odd thing that he threw in each day so that is actually a seriously good tip that's an idea Karen what do you think of that you're throwing something um, that they, you know they're going to hate and it sort of r- relatively makes everything else look good that, that's actually I hadn't thought of that yeah. it's quite random it's really good isn't yeah, it it's a strategy we're going to pick up on that and use that thank you <laughs> well done Tim <laughs> Thanks, Tim. Yeah, no, my kids go through so much milk that my mum and my mother-in-law are shocked. They're absolutely shocked how many litres of milk. But I figure, well, it could be worse. The thing is, it's still from natural whole foods. It is. You know? um, it's, it's the lactose that you get in the milk that is the carbohydrate. And it, it's a... It's still carbohydrate, but you'd prefer it to come from milk than from a packet of chips. Uh, absolutely. So we don't really have anything like that in our house, but we do live on pasta and we'll not live on it, but we do sort of have a bit of a passion for Italian food, I'd have to say. So we do have quite a lot of pasta and pizza and things like that, which I don't know if that sort of is good well, or not good. It depends you know, which which thing you read on Google yeah. that day. I mean, you know, uh, today on Google it is, and t- today in our world, uh, those sorts of foods are not very nutrient dense mm. and they also hold a lot of carbohydrates. So if you are that person who doesn't tolerate carbohydrate very well, those kinds of foods are not great for you. So someone with insulin resistance, someone with prediabetes or diabetes or um, a whole host of other um, conditions, if you're slightly overweight and you wanted to drop a little bit of weight, if you were coming towards menopause, uh, these are the, the situations where you become intolerant to heavy loads of carbohydrate. So you know, but but a pasta every now and again is totally fine. But relying on pasta and pizza most nights, not ideal. They just don't provide you with a lot of great nutrients. Those foods. Mm. So what I've started to do now is do more of like an amazing, uh, you know, cross-cut beef, slow-cooked stew with loads of tomatoes and vegetables and things like that in it, and then just have a little tiny bit of pasta on the side. And that's great. You know, mm. everyone starts somewhere, and if it's cutting it down or cutting it out, everyone's got a different goal. But I'll tell you something. I bought a spiralizer recently, and um, it's this little pl- plastic implement that you can get for yep. 20 bucks. And, you know, w- with a courgette and a piece of plastic, you can make pasta. I know, it's seconds. amazing, it's, isn't it? It's amazing. You can make carrot pasta, courgette pasta. You can use cauliflower to make cauliflower rice. Um, you can make low-carb bread. So if you wanted to eat those carbohydrate-looking foods, like mm. pasta, rice, bread, you can actually make them with whole foods that give you better nutrients. Yeah, that's it's true. It's just the know-how and using a little bit of imagination. You can get there. 
Yeah. And then having a bit of pasta, the odd pizza. You know, if you live the 80 20 rule, or we call yeah, it that's what, what the do. fat, we call it a three meal rule. That's totally fine. So, what's the three meal rule, Grant? Uh, well, it's this, the idea that there's 21 meals in the week, mm-hmm. and um, let's try and get eight of them, 18 of them real food, um, whole actual food, food that you would rot. Your grandmother recognises, you know, what do we call that? Low and human interference. Mm. And look, you know, there is a reality, and I don't think this is ideal, but we live in the, a world where. Um, in medical terms, the food environment is pathological, um, and there's a lot of socialisation around that. You'll be out here, there, and everywhere. And if you know a couple of meals a week go astray, you know, I'd rather you shrug your shoulders, enjoyed it. Mm. You know, my other sort of passion of positive psychology, you know, mindfulness. You know, just enjoy eating it for God's sake. Don't feel guilty about it. Yes. Um, but the important thing is that you don't. You know, I see a lot of people, dieters especially, particularly like that word. But you know, that'll go. Oh, oh well. It's all got you know, two in a row. It's all gone to custard. What's the point of even trying? And you know, they ba- never go and back. And they, and they cycle back into a junk phase, and mm. they can't climb back on that horse. So this just gives a little framework for going. You know what? Um, I'm a human. Meals are going to go wrong from time to time, and it wouldn't be ideally. But you know, actually, I'll probably quite enjoy it, um, and um, then I'll carry on. Yeah, I mean, that's sort of how I've always lived my life, I think, is just balancing. Yeah. You know, I'll have a, I'll have a sort of a, I mean, I've just been to Vietnam. I yeah. ate myself crazy. However, very yeah. good food yeah. um, and probably very good for me uh, in general and certainly not a lot of carbohydrates. But I did eat a lot. Yeah. And then, you know, come back and just go, right, well, that was it. And that was then. And I wanted to eat as much as I ate. And that was fantastic. But, gosh, I don't want to keep doing that, you know, because my energy levels will be low and i exhausted if I sort of feel like I'm constantly eating and just immediately get back on track into a nice balanced way and just feel... That's that's pretty easy, but I do know that people start to. The problem is, I think, isn't it that people, if they especially go for the fast food or the sugary, high processed food, that unfortunately becomes quite addictive, and then they feel like they need it the next day, and then they feel like they need it again. Um, and I think that's a huge problem if you don't have a balanced approach in what you're overeating. In yeah, the first yeah. Place. Karen and I talk about that a bit because I mean, I, um, I, we both generally like to eat. Um, reasonable amount of fat for, for um, and lowering carbohydrates. That sort of low carb, healthy fat approach sort of suits us, suits our temperament, makes us feel you feel good on that. Yeah, great. Yeah, um, I think the reality is though that when we end up with heavier carb days, it's really interesting. You don't sort of feel fuller. You're hungry, and you wake up the next day, and I'm I'm hungry. You've said that to me a few times, eh, Karen? Yeah, yeah. It's really interesting. You think if you if you overeat something one night. The next morning you'd you'd wake up and you'd be full, but it's actually totally the opposite way around. I totally agree. And you think back and you think, gosh, I had that huge bowl of pasta or or a big Friday night with the kids and we all made homemade pizzas or something. I should wake up and not want to eat all day Saturday. You wake up craving. Yeah. I know. It's not good. Yeah. So that that is a downside to that, Mm. that type of thing. Mm, it's interesting, isn't it? And I, what worries me here with the fast food situation or in the Western world is, you know, once you get a kind of a taste for that, the flavours and things that go into that food, then you're just constantly wishing for that again and what you're making at home is not actually equaling the buzz that you get when you eat some of that fast food and then it's sort of a slippery slope downhill. Yeah, well, I'm not sure it's the speed of the food. I mean, carrots are fast, but... Um... <laughs> <laughs> But it's certainly the composition, um, and you know, I think the science has really shown that now that um, sugar and refined processed carbohydrates you know, affect dopamine in the brain. That's the addiction pathway, that um, mesolimbic system. It's exactly the same pathway as, as other addictive drugs. 
um, and we have the same withdrawal effect. You know, so you know, I think we're starting to say, yeah, the sh- um, sugar and processed refined carbohydrates are addictive. Um, and not only that, is that for some people it's worse than others. You know, some mm. people will, will take up drugs, not get addicted, and some people will. And I think the same applies in, in that um, sugary food context. Yeah, it sort of saddens me um, when I go back to countries like Vietnam where I you know, was blessed enough to live a decade ago uh, and notice how much fast food, how many supermarkets have opened, uh, the amount of packaged food that is available and many people in the population thinking that that is a status symbol to actually be able to eat in those places or to be able to shop at those supermarkets and are giving up their beautiful fresh produce markets where I'm going and fossicking around. Uh, They're giving that up and wondering why on earth would I be there um, because they're shopping in these beautiful air-conditioned environments um, buying packaged Things. Yeah, it's, it's interesting, and that's echoed in Pacific Islands and um, other areas of the world where, you know, you've got this beautiful, rich culture and cultural foods, yet they are all reaching towards Western-type eating. And you can see that countries that had very little disease are now getting, uh, you know, building up the ranks with uh, w- with disease, like particularly diabetes. Mm. And um, it's just, you know... Sad. It's, it's very sad, and there's so much harm being done. Um, and I wish people could just, you know, could just see it. But you know, if you look at the, if you look at the lifestyle of old and the lifestyle today, it's it's all about how busy we are. You know, we we all, everyone has lots of jobs. Um, everyone's busy, and everyone's a lot more stressed. So the fast food in, in environment is is there, um, and and it's kind of shameful because. They're relying on on people to to grab what's quick and easy, and mm. we're totally losing sight of that family environment, that family meal, sitting down, chilling out, having a conversation, cooking a meal together, eating a meal together, and you know that's how I was brought up. I my school lunch was was lovely, mm. <laughs> and I ate it all. And I came home, and you know on Monday night we had we had fish, and on Tuesday night we had pasta, and on Wednesday night we had whatever. We had very little processed foods, and. It's just interesting to see how it's totally different today. Yeah, it has. To, did you get packed lunch out of interest in South Africa? Did you have a packed lunch? Like, did you take a school lunch like our yeah, kids take to school? Totally yeah, I took out a school of lunch. Yeah. And, uh, you know, what? I, one thing I remember is I had these, um, I always had my curly carrots. My mother used to have this implement, which I still have today, and you can make corrugated, you chop them. Oh, yeah. Corrugated curly curly carrots. I've got a knife and like that from Vietnam. And everyone used to yep. talk about my, my curly carrots, and I guess those, those really good habits were instilled in me when I was really young. So I, I was lucky that my that my family were onto it, mm. yeah, and onto Whole Foods as well. I never had pa- packets in my lunchbox; it was ridiculous. No, we never had packets either. But well, I was lucky. Mum did used to love cooking and baking, so I was kind of like the spoiled kid at school as well. Everyone wanted my lunchbox. How about you, Grant? Oh, yeah. I mean, I had my mum, an awesome cook, beautiful lunches, still cooks beautifully. Um, try and go there whenever I can, frankly. Hey, just on this busyness thing. Yes. Um, I mean, I don't buy into this. The world's mm. so busy and it's defeating us. Um, and look, in fact, if you go back historically and look at texts in the 17th century, the 18th century, the 19th century, the early 20th century, they're all lamenting the modern world and busyness and how they've, you know, they're, you know, be sacrificed to it, basically. Um, and it, I, I think that 
as an approach actually fundamentally defeats the problem. It's like the world's out of control and I'm only just trying to fit in. It's not my fault. I just think that's complete bullshit. You know, like um, we make every one of us makes choices all day. First of all, how we feel about what we're doing and think what we're doing. Um, second of all, what activities we choose to do, and, and when we're, if you you want to pull your um, cell phone out while you're having dinner and do that, you know that's that's a choice. That, that hasn't, the world hasn't somehow forced you into that. Um, you know, in actual fact, we've got more technology, more time saving device. We're richer um, and have more things than we ever have before have been in human history. We actually have the opportunity to have more time, not less. Um, and so when everyone goes, I'm so busy and the world's defeated me. Yeah, I, I I don't buy that. It's actually the other way around. Mm, it's so interesting, isn't it? I think people feel busy. Yeah. People feel busy because they have devices and yeah. they feel like they have to quickly check Facebook and they have to check Instagram and they have to check their emails yeah. all the time. And if they haven't checked that fifteen minutes since fifteen minutes ago, the oh my start. gosh, you know what's happened? I might have missed something, and then they're quickly leaving a meeting and they're checking it again and they're checking. And I think people are perceiving themselves as being busy because yeah. they've got this whole other world going on. They've got the real world, like we're sitting here chatting with each other, yeah. but we've got this whole other world that we need yeah. to attend yeah. to the moment we've stopped talking here um, and even in the car you know people feel like they have to text in the car because they're going to miss out on the other world while they're busy driving in this yeah. world yeah. and I look I agree and I've I've definitely succumbed to it at times one thing I haven't succumbed to and I guess I'm lucky just because I love food so I love cooking um, is is the food side like I always make time in the day to make sure I've got yeah, time so to cook that's for the family because it's important that's important and we do that and another classic example in parenting is is the is the super busy parenting and, and it's I think it's become endemic in the society of driving your kids from one organised activity to another and it could be even more than one at a night and you've got several kids you know you're basically a glorified bus driver for you know long periods of time um, that's not necessarily good parenting it's equally good although often regarded as negligent um, around the world to um, not do anything on some days you know sit there or, or go and do something else and the kids can just go outside and do kid things um, and actually, you know, in holidays and stuff, it's okay for kids to be bored. They're not in need of entertainment. I know. Boring is good. Boring's cool. Well, it's part of life, isn't it? To then use your imagination to come up with something to do. Go and kick a ball in the front garden yeah. or go down to the park and kick a ball. Yeah. And, yes, you can walk there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Do, do whatever you want. I don't care. You know, and that, that's actually an okay parenting strategy. And to, you can mm. say that. That's in a sort of real parenting environment. You know, good parenting isn't about getting a kid in the rep team and getting them a one organ. You know, it's great if they do, but, you know, like, whatever. It's quite distressing, though, isn't it? Because you feel pressure from the other parents. You also feel pressure from your own children who bemoan the fact that they're the only ones who aren't doing X, Y, and Z. And you have to re be really strong and confident in yourself and the decisions that you've made that that is okay and then convey that to them. It is actually okay the way you are living and the decisions we've made on your behalf are okay because otherwise, you know, you feel like kind of beaten up by everybody. Yeah, I mean, my kids sometimes go, "Oh, dear, that's not normal." And my response is, "Oh, well, no, 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 you definitely don't want to be normal. Um, I'm trying hard not to be normal because that's like average. We want to be awesome, and that's cool. That's the way it goes. That's and of course, cool. everyone rolls their eyes and it's like, "Well, dare to dick," but you know. <laughs> You and I have the same age children, by the way. I have one about to turn four, uh, 15 and one who's 13 and a half, and they're both boys. Right. <laughs> so the rolling of the eyes, and they're like, you have no idea anything about our lives. That's what we get all the time around the table. <laughs>
<laughs> but we do. Um, it's been really fantastic for us here in Auckland because we were expats in Asia for 16 years before we came and lived here. And um, my husband was consistently traveling and working late. So it has been really fantastic for us here. We've had a lot more, probably I'd say five out of seven meals, dinner around the table together at night, which has really, really changed the dynamics of our family. And although the boys sit there and grunt quite a bit and they complain that they're asked too many questions and have to contribute to the conversation, it has become a quite a nice habit. Um, and it's brief. You know, they kind of want to zip off pretty quickly. But I figure it's better than not sitting there at all. And they do really appreciate good food. Um, they love home-cooked food. And they talk about what's on their plate and whether they liked it and whether it's been, you know, seasoned well enough. And I think how fantastic because they're growing with that. Even though they're a bit too cool at the moment to come in the kitchen too often, um, they'll help a bit. Um, but they kind of like to do, you know, they like to make pancakes or cook their bacon for breakfast. They don't really want to do a whole dinner. But they are aware of the process of getting that dinner onto the table and understanding, you know, that takes time and that it's important to put that time in and eat whole food. And I think that's really important. So Yeah, and hopefully when they uh, they grow up and move out, they will draw on those experiences and cook the foods that you used to cook them and, you know, mm. take those skills over to their own worlds and their own future lives. You yeah. know, we need to give them the tools for them to be able to use the tools. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, I run cooking classes for younger kids, um, and my boys are now, you know, teenage helpers at those classes, and I'm hoping they think they're coming to earn some money in the school holidays, and I'm hoping that vicariously they're actually learning a few skills while they're there. Absolutely, I'm sure they are. <laughs> so to finish up, I'm really interested to just have a chat about what – your thoughts on, because obviously the school situation, school canteens and things is fairly horrific uh, in New Zealand, not only in New Zealand, America and Australia as well in general, um, but also the, you know, I mean, even walking in here, no disrespect to this fabulous uh, location that we're in, but, you know, immediately, you know, there's a fast food outlet and there's loads of soft drink on display and that's sort of the, the quick option for students to grab at. What can we do about that? That's That really bothers me that we can do as much educating at home as we want, but if that's the only options for the students in their schools and in their universities and things, how on earth are we ever going to get the message across? Yeah, Let's solve the world problems. I, I have no idea, but I do think that we need champions in schools. That's a biggie. And um, there are champions in schools that are uh, making a bit of noise and, and, and doing things like making sure that there are some um, home-cooked, whole-food-cooked meals in schools. Um, it's few and far between, mm. uh, definitely. And, I, I mean, you know, if we could have something nationally approved by, you know, government, a school food program, just one decent meal, um, you know, so... Grant's desperate for the microphone, oh, Karen. To say something, <laughs> I will pass it desperate. on. Oh, yeah, yeah. But what Karen's not mentioning is that she, she led a... Um, a change in a school called called Dilworth. Um, oh, did you lead that? Yeah. So 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 the the principal of that school um, we know quite well, John Rice, and um, you know, the perfect place to start a course is a boarding, boys boarding school where the, where you can't wander around at a shop because there's no shop because it's in the country. Um, so the, you know they just switched their food, they ditched cereals, all the refined processed crap, and replaced it with real food. Their chef Craig lost twenty nine kilos straight away. Um, the boys. Um, didn't impair their growth, but the fatter boys lost weight around their waist. 
um, you know, massive success translated to to their city school as yeah. well. Yeah. You know, so it started a movement. Um, just as you speak, though, I had the Minister of Education for this country in my office on Tuesday saying, who's a big fan of our book, What the Fat. Which minister? Um, it, it's, Joyce? No. no. Yeah, Parati. Oh, yes. Okay. Uh, um, and, and she's um, very keen on it. She wants to flip the food pyramid, as she said, and, you know, get that happening in some, you know, schools and, and as models of how that would happen. So, you know, stay tuned. Oh, well, stay tuned because we're having an off-air conversation about this before I leave this room. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and and now, now Karen's desperate for the microphone, but just, <laughs> just, just um, one more thing on that. that you know, Personally, if I was in charge of the whole um, education system, I'd do school lunches. I'd do cooked, provided school lunches. I, I just, I hate making school lunches. Same. A pain in the ass. I can never find staff ever, and no, mm-hmm. no one's ever happy. Um, you know, there's all sorts of ideas, and most of them are good, but actually doing it day in, day out, and avoiding packaged food is really, really hard. Um, and I'm prepared to pay. Mm-hmm. Um, tax me more. Yeah, no, I'm totally, and I'm totally prepared to pay as well. What I'm not prepared to pay for is the $10 a day for the rubbish that's being currently served up in schools and in good schools. And I'm really sorry to those schools who I admire in every other way. I'm appalled. And we were truly appalled when we arrived in from Vietnam and the boys had been at international schools and they had had cooked lunches at those schools because that's just part of what you do if you're at a European school. They cook your lunch for you and they all sit down together and chat and there are no devices and they're not running around the playground for 20 to 25 minutes. You sit down in a beautiful, well, it's not beautiful aesthetically, but in a great situation where everyone's chatting and one person goes up and gets the water and they all have this beautiful food and then they go out and play. And the food's done and they're ready for the afternoon of learning. And then I came back here, which is how I grew up, with a packed lunch. But every morning, it's the same dilemma. And, yeah, I love the idea of, oh, yes, you cook up all these fabulous things on Sunday and you pop them aside and they'll go in the lunchbox. Great philosophy. Never happens the way I would love it to happen in my house. So. Yeah, and I think a, a school lunch would be way better than a, a school breakfast, which you typically see in some of the initiatives, because typically quick, easy breakfast foods come Cereal. from packets loaded with sugar um, that will not set the child up to learn. It will set the child up to be hungry a couple of hours later. Mm. So at least in a, in a school lunch, you're going to get some sort of protein. You're going to get some sort of vegetables in it. And, you know, if there's some carbohydrate like potato or some pasta, big deal. It's, mm. it's you know, it's a, it's a home-cooked um, meal in the school environment. And I really think that that could just move health on a whole lot more if something like that came in at a national, international, global level. Mm, one of my podcasts is actually with an amazing girl called, uh, Re- did you hear, uh, Rebecca Plantier, who wrote an, oh, she wrote an article. She's in France, but she's a US citizen. She wrote an article about French school lunches and the fact that they're cooked and provided for the children. And then in brackets, it puts America to shame. And it went absolutely viral on, I think, uh, is it Mind Body Green, which right. is a massive mm, website yeah. in the States. And yeah, it went absolutely viral. And I've interviewed her on my podcast cool. um, a couple of episodes before. Um, this one, I think, episode five or something. And uh, yeah, she also has a, a, her own website, Fit to Inspire. And it was so interesting mm. because that's what she said. She said, I was I grew up in the US, so I know what it is to take a lunchbox. But now I've married a French man and we're living here in France. And I'm watching the way my kids walk to school. They get three breaks 
a day. They sit down for a beautiful lunch in the middle of the day and then they get all their work done. They don't come home starving. They don't come home for that desperate afternoon tea, which my boys definitely. They walk in the door. The first thing they say is, I'm starving. And I sort of almost give them half of their dinner early because I was giving them cakes and, you know, the afternoon tea stuff. And I thought, this is ridiculous. I mean, they're almost inhaling it. Lots of sugar and not enough healthy fat. Yeah. Yeah. Just wanted to say one more thing about the Dilworth um, example. Yes, please do. What, what they did that was so good, um, apart from the main thing, which is change the, the nutrition environment at the school, is they um, they educated the staff and they educated the students about what they were doing. So it wasn't just, uh, you know, click your fingers and the foods change. It's like this is what we committed to at the school. Everyone needs to buy in. Everyone needs to know why we're we doing this and have a chance to you know, to, to talk about it. And I just thought the way they went about doing that was just so great. It was really good. Because that's the key, isn't it? It's the education. Yeah, totally. Without a doubt. There's no point yeah. just changing it yeah. um, because no one understands why. And then they go home on the weekend or just the teachers are doing something different at home and rolling their eyes and, oh, yes, and yet another fad Yeah. Um, without really truly understanding. I think yeah. that's fantastic. And like I said, you need champions. And, and, and the chef down there, his name happens to be Craig as well, he, who is the champion, um, what they do is the kids have their meal and then they take their plates over and Craig goes, how was that? And they they have this kind of running commentary about foods that, that, that they like, meals that they perhaps didn't like so much. And he takes this all into consideration and changes up. Obviously, you can't suit everyone, but um, he's a total champion. That is so fantastic. And again, I mean, there's going to be boys, you know, people will listen to this, oh, yes, but my son wouldn't eat that at the school and that child probably wouldn't want that. Too bad is my answer. My answer is put it down in front of them. If they're really starving, they're going to eat it if that's what's on offer. And if they're not and they're picky, well, let them just pick a little bit and maybe try something that they would say no to at home because it's amazing what kids will eat Mm. as a group that they may say no to at home because they think they can get away with saying no. And if they don't want to eat it, they don't want to eat it, they don't have to eat it. We Mm. hardly have a starvation problem in this country. Ah, yeah. So, you know, (laughs) one meal that they don't eat is not going to do any damage. Yeah, exactly. Grant, any thoughts on that? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's the same thing. As a, you know, it's very easy to go, oh, they didn't eat it. Oh, now they need something else. Otherwise, they won't have enough energy. And I think particularly for younger kids, this is important. You know, I, I have really no idea what goes through teenage boys' minds because um, I was one and I can't remember anything coherent. Um, <laughs> so I assume these kids are the same. But the younger mm-hmm. ones, like my little one, like they just need to actually get food in front of them, all sorts of food. And, you know, if they won't eat it, well, too bad. They'll get it again next time. Um, yeah. And that's that's just another good parenting. Like you don't have to drive your kids everywhere. You don't have to make your kids separate. You know, I've seen families with separate meals for, you know, this kid eats that and not that and this. You know, I mean, talk about making it hard for yourself. Why, why would you bother with that? Yeah, I've never done separate meals for the kids. They may have eaten at separate times or at different times because they were really little or Tim wasn't home, but it's always been the same food and it's just that's just what dinner is, so eat it, really. Yeah. Anyway, it would be fantastic to solve the world. I'm so um, honoured to meet you. I read that newspaper article all about Dilworth and shared it like crazy on my Facebook page, but I had no idea it was you, so <laughs> that's absolutely fantastic. And I did actually think off the back of it because I go to schools and teach kids and set up like MasterChef style competitions and get them cooking against each other and teach kids in the school holidays as well and I teach them real food I mean they're learning to de-seed tomatoes chop onions, grate zucchini um, and put you know really lovely food together and I really think 
from my perspective, yeah, it's about the education as well because if they're actually standing there and doing it and, you know, someone who says, I hate tomato, but then they've stood there and they've de-seeded it and they've diced it really, really small is far more likely to put it into something and then go, actually, it's, it's fine to eat it in a fritter because I didn't even realise that it doesn't really taste, you know, bad um, than if you just hand it to them and they go, I don't like tomato and that's the end of it. So, yeah. Anyway, I read that article about Dilworth and went, yay, well done to that school and well done to you. So, Grant, anything to, any little kind of philosophy moment at the end for us before I go on and give you a quick fire set of questions? Oh, I mean, I'm, I'm well known with teenage, teenagers especially for, um, actually for life in general, celebrating um, strategic laziness, which I think Please is... Please share. Well, I mean, you know, I've got one boy who I think I, we shouldn't celebrate. Um, he's a good boy, everyone likes him, but... At the end of the day, he tries hard to please everyone, and I think really mm. excels at nothing. Um, I hope he's not listening. They, they, Teenage uh, boys don't yeah, listen to yeah, podcasts. Yeah, We're yeah, all good. <laughs> true, true. Um, the other one, on the other hand, the teachers don't particularly like because he tries really hard and excels in some subjects and actually just doesn't care and doesn't put any effort in. And, and I, I think that's actually worthwhile. Um, I think that you don't have to be good at everything, but damn, you have to be good at something. Um, you have to be passionate about something, and, and, and that's what we can do for our kids, I think, um, is guide them to that. And actually, I think that about universities as well. We've got, mm. That's our role. Yeah. yeah. It's such a different way of thinking, and I'm so grateful to hear you say that because I have one who, just kind of across the board, is pretty good at everything, mostly sport, but pretty good at everything, and the other one who is absolutely passionate about computers and IT and is so brilliant uh, but it's not what the school does they don't do computers and IT no. um, not in the way he wants to do which is build them and understand them and really get into the nitty gritty of them and he really doesn't like his academic subjects at all except maths um, and I sort of keep thinking he needs to be good at all those academic subjects it's so important that he does well in all of those but why? Yeah I mean I think we're preparing ourselves for a world that we have no idea what it's going to look like mm. but what we do know is you're going to have to if you want to if you want to make a living, have a great life, um, you're going to have to be really good at something. Um, and the only way to put in the amount of work to, to be good is to be passionate about it. Otherwise, you know, you're going through a law degree, you're going to law school, you're, you're working your way up through the advanced pyramid scheme, all for no fun, mm. you know, for, just for money. You know, and that's why that's a miserable profession by and large. Hmm. Well, I think that my teenage son's going to be absolutely delighted that I've met you today because I'm going to go home with a slight change of mental uh, approach to the way he does his homework <laughs> and he'll be very, very happy. Now, you two, together, I'm going to give you a quick fire little um, range of questions. It's just for fun. Don't think too deeply about it. Just the first thing that comes to your head. Are you ready? <laughs> Celery or Brussels sprouts? Celery. Celery. It's meant to be quite fast. Sorry. <laughs> Chinese food or Indian? Indian. Indian. Apples or pears? Apples. Apples. Soft cheese or hard cheese? Hard. Soft. Couscous or rice? None of the above. Neither. None of them? I hate both. Oh, do you uh, hate you know, both? You know, like rice, probably. If I, if I had a gun to my head, I'd go uh, rice. Couscous, disgusting. It's got a bad texture. Oh, that's so cool. That's so interesting. Ice cream or yogurt? Yogurt. yogurt. Soup or broth? Like a thick pumpkin soup broth. or a broth? Broth. Champagne or wine? Wine. Wine. Breakfast or dinner? Breakfast. Mm, dinner, actually. 
dinner. Breakfast, not because it's the most important meal, but because you love what you can eat for breakfast. Yeah. yeah. yeah Pies or sausage rolls? Pies. Pies. Yeah. Neither. Not even if you make them yourself. No, I, I'm just not a fan of that kind of stuff. Really? I've never had sausage rolls. Pies. Pies, yeah. Homemade decent pies. pies. I'm not talking like a, you know, go to the service yeah. station. Like, okay, but like pie. a pot pie that okay, you make pie. at home. Yeah. <laughs> We've convinced her. And you guys, I normally ask, you know, what's your favourite cookbook? But you guys have a cookbook. Yeah. Ours, of course. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So come on, give it the plug. Plug. What the fat? What the fat? What the fat? Uh, what, what the fat? Sugars in... Sugar's out. What the fat? Fats and sugar's fats out. Fats and sugar's out. And we've also got What the Fat Sports Performance, Lena Fitter Faster. Ooh. And we will soon have a What the Fat Families. Oh, uh, fantastic. Uh, and I'm awesome. really keen on the, what the, the Families, not only being a great cookbook, but uh, on, on sort of getting the sugar out, but also all the things that, you know, around a, the well being of a family, you know, reading. Mm. Um, you know, making building a fire, all that sort of stuff as well. You know, all the stuff that we don't do. Oh, fantastic! Things. Doing family things, yeah, bringing the family back together. Well, that's at my heart. So that's a perfect way to end this podcast. Thank you so much for your time, and uh, I'm sure the listeners will be well inspired and having a few chuckles as listening to us chatting with each other today. So thank you, Grant, and Thanks. thank you, Karen. Thank you very much, Vanessa. Thank you all for listening to another episode of Food Family and Friends podcast. It's really a pleasure to be able to share such amazing stories and journeys of our guests with you. If you would like some more recipe ideas, some tips, tricks, a little bit of blogging, then make sure you jump on the foodfamilyfriendspodcast.com website where we'll be sharing lots of information with you. Also, you can have a look at what other podcasts are out and about there in our world of podcasts on worldpodcasts.com. If you are in New Zealand, you can also take a look at podcasts.co.nz because there are some other fabulous podcasts. Thank you once again for listening. Uh, It's an absolute pleasure to have you on board this wonderful journey. And I can't wait to touch base with you again next week. Food, Family and Friends podcast, proudly presented by worldpodcasts.com.